For the month of March, I'm taking a break from recording new episodes so that I can highlight some of the other fantastic podcasts that I've had the privilege of being a guest co-host on. This week, I'll be replaying part of an episode of Moving Panels with host Laramie Wells. As you know, Laramie is a good friend of mine and has been a frequent guest on the 80s Flick Flashback podcast going all the way back to season one. Laramie created Moving Panels to discuss movies and TV shows based, inspired by, or adapted from the world of comic books, and I was actually his very first guest co-host when he covered Superman the movie. We always have a great time on each other's shows, and this episode was no exception. So get ready to get all botanical as Laramie Wells and I discuss Swamp Thing from 1982 on this special Moving Panels replay episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The comic book legend lives, the Swamp Thing. Once a man, now a monster. Once a creator, now a creature. Once her hero, still her hero. The Swamp Thing. It lives. It loves. And no thing does it better. Rated PG. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Yes, 80s movie, and it showed. <laughs> Early 80s movie, for sure. Yes, it was. All right, so before we get into it, I, I want to ask, what what was prior, I know you've now seen the movie, but mm-hmm. what was your knowledge prior to prepping for this show to the movie or even the actual comic book? Uh, well, I remember seeing this movie on cable as a kid, a very young kid. So, and it was funny because when it first started, I was like, I probably not going to remember much about this movie because I didn't have a lot of memories of it. But as it, as it was playing, I was like, oh, I remember this part. Oh, I remember this part. Oh, I remember this part. So I obviously watched it several times, but it's something I have not watched 
in a very long time. So when you mentioned doing it for this, for your podcast, I was not aware of it being a comic book. Of course, it says it on the credits, but as a kid, I wouldn't have, you know, I didn't pay attention to that. But as I've, you know, gotten older, I think I've, I think I've known that it was part of a, it was from a comic, but I didn't read the comic. Uh, I don't know much about the comic. <laughs> so we, we're, of course, in our March Madness, where all of March we've devoted to one single topic, and this year it's Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, Blake and I talked about the cartoon. Were you familiar with the cartoon? Yes, I was familiar with it, but I was, I did not watch it, because that was like 90s, right? When that yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah it was so like 91, I, 92. Yeah, I was I was not as into animated stuff uh, at that point in my life. I was a little older, uh, like going into high school. So animated stuff wasn't what I was watching. All right, what about the uh, live action show that came on USA? I didn't watch that either. <laughs> <laughs> I knew about it, but I didn't watch it. So, And then, and then believe it or not, there's a sequel. Any any remembrance of the sequel, Return of Swamp Thing? Yeah, see that. See when I'm gonna have to watch that one now uh, because I kept thinking that the Swamp Thing that I watched was actually Swamp Thing too. Like in my mind, I kept thinking like I've never seen the first Swamp Thing. I've only seen the second one. But then as I started to research, you know, doing an '80s podcast, of course, our research was like, oh well, if the first one came out in early '80s, that's probably the one I saw. But for some reason. I must have seen the second one, but I don't have any recollection of it. I probably only saw it like once or twice. It's also an 80s movie. came out in 89. It is. Yeah. is. Alright, let's go ahead and get into some of the background. So the character of Swamp Thing was created by Lynn Wine and artist Bernie Wrightson. Um, are you familiar with Lynn Wine? The name sounds familiar, but I wouldn't be able to... If it was a, if it was a trivia question, I would not get it right. <laughs> so I think I've said his name on this uh, on this show before, but I think I said Lynn Wynn. Okay, and I think more of more of my research has discovered it's pronounced Wine. Uh, gotcha. So Lynn Wine is the guy who not only co-created Swamp Thing, he co-created Wolverine. Ah, which we've discussed a mm-hmm. lot lately, or you've yeah. discussed a lot of Wolverine <laughs> and uh, X Men things lately. Yes. Also, other X-Men, he co-created Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the editor for Watchmen. Oh, wow. Okay. The original Swamp Thing was intended to be kind of a, just a horror monster, just kind of mm-hmm. like this movie portrays, and we'll get into that. It was producer Michael Uslin, or Uslin, how you pronounce his last name, mm-hmm. who purchased the rights from D.C., uh, of course, Superman had come out a few years earlier, right? And people were wanting to capitalize on this re- uh, resurgence of mm-hmm. superheroes, and so he purchased the rights for Swamp Thing and Batman. <laughs> he got Batman, but and yet he, he made, decided he right. decided to go with Swamp Thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I know we're going to get into it, but seeing how the budget kept getting cut for this movie, yeah. Probably a better idea. They obviously didn't have the money to do Batman the way they wanted to. They didn't do Swamp Thing the way the way they originally wanted to either. But I will point out though, he still held on to the rights, and he is the executive producer on Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, very nice. So smart man. Yeah. So same dude. Uh, I did hear in an interview that when I say he purchased the rights for both characters, he actually only purchased the rights for Batman. 
<laughs> and then he talked DC into just giving him Swamp Thing for free. Wow. Okay. That worked out well for him. Yeah. And, and I mean, they gave him everything. They, pretty much mm-hmm. the contract read that he had the rights to every character that was introduced in a Swamp Thing comic book. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Which I know you're um, going to tell us a lot of those characters that came out of Swamp Thing, aren't you? Uh, yeah, there's not an awful lot in this movie, though, but we'll get into that. No, well, yeah. Eventually, through the, through the month, you'll be sharing more that came out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we've already done one in a previous uh, episode. Blake and I did uh, Constantine, and Constantine right, actually came right, from right. Swamp Thing Comics. Wow, so, okay. And I think it was, oh, I don't have it uh, right here, but I think it was maybe issue five, so the very fifth, the fifth issue mm. of... Swamp Thing, he teams up with Batman. Yeah, I think I remember you talking. We were talking yeah. about that uh, last week. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so this movie was released February nineteenth, nineteen eighty-two. So <laughs> Valentine's <laughs> weekend. It, it is kind of a love story. Yeah. Kind Beauty of. and the Beast, kind of. Yeah. Story yep. there. Now, did you remember, or were you? surprise to find out it was written and directed by Wes Craven. I was, I did not, I did not realize that until it popped up. Well, first I saw the written by on the opening credits and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. And then I saw directed by, I was like, Oh, very interesting. So quite a departure from his previous films up until this point. Yeah. Not as still. Yeah. yeah, Not his first, uh, first film. He had already done, uh, the house on the left. Um, Mm -hmm. He had already done The Hills, the Have, Hills Eyes. Have Eyes. Yeah. Right. I think he'd done a couple other movies that I think have been kind of yeah. throwaway movies. Yeah, I think he did one other right before this one that was not necessarily horror, but wasn't very well received either. So Yeah. Uh, of course, it would be two years after this mm-hmm. that he would finally break through with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. Uh, Which some something I read said that he was coming up he was already beginning the idea of yeah. a My Nightmare on Elm Street while he was making this one, which production seemed like to be its own nightmare for him. So I'm sure that was easy to come up with. <laughs> well, he's also said uh, in interviews that he was he thought this movie was going to end his career. Yeah, he did. Yeah, exactly. So let's be glad he came up with the mm-hmm. idea for Nightmare on Elm Street because, I mean, he's Wes Craven now. Right, right, uh, right. You know, a, a legend Mm-hmm. You know, may he rest in peace, but mm-hmm. he is, he will always be a legend um, <laughs> in Hollywood and, and for movie buffs like you and I. Yeah. Uh, love but I can, Yeah. But I can say like, as I was watching it, it was like, this is definitely, it has Wes Craven's touch to it. I mean, of course I wouldn't have re- realized that watching it as a kid, but have seen now having seen so many other Wes Craven films, it definitely fits in his filmography even if it is a pg you know more sci-fi than horror type movie part of me wonders too and you know we'll get into this as we're talking about the story but the bit they did with the stuntman on fire running out Mm -hmm. of the lab yep like part of me wonders like did he get the idea for to do that with (laughs) freddie yeah it's very possible in nightmare on elm street because they did a very similar uh, stunt in nightmare on elm street and it was the same stuntman was it? Yeah, it was. I didn't didn't uh, discover that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah. and and the stuntman said that he he there was another story. Then kind of 
branching off of that, that he was so that stunt man, like he just does the fire stunt, mm-hmm. but he started doing that as a kid by setting himself on fire next yeah. to his pool and, and, you know, jumping in the pool and it got too hot. I was like, okay, that, that, that was very dangerous yeah. and we yeah. do not condone that activity, but yeah. he obviously knew what he was called to do. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I saw that. I, I, I saw that in my research was mm. that he would just try different, different chemicals to see mm-hmm. how they burned. I mean, this is, it's a, I think I found out it's a 28 second burn. Yeah. Which is really impressive because usually mm. when you see someone catch on fire, a stuntman get caught on fire, it's, yeah, it, you know, five seconds. Right. And, then and they, I was, yeah. And I was watching for the cuts, you know, like how, you know, cutting away to a different scene, like, okay, was it all one, was that mm. all done in one shot and they recut mm. it or was that, Okay, go this far, and then we'll stop, and then we'll set you on fire. To you know, he made it out the house, and then like almost to the pier. Then and then they cut from a different pier. angle, right? Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, oh, I wonder if that was all one continuous, you know, him running out, or if they had to break it up and re recut it. Still great, great stunt work for sure. Oh, definitely did find out because I'm always curious when whether the writer or the director knew about the character prior. Mm-hmm. Found out that Wes Craven was not familiar with the character. Not at all. And that he never spoke to uh, Lynn Wine. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, Swamp Thing had just debuted 10 years earlier in right, 72. Right. Uh, and of course, Lynn Wine was still big in DC Comics or probably Marvel Comics by this point, but still, a, and he just he didn't reach out to him. And I just kind of go, eh, I kind of wish you would. Like, <laughs> Right, but right. did find out that Wes did read the comics, mm-hmm. um, and he felt his story was respectful to the story and the overall theme that the mm-hmm. comic book was trying to portray. And we'll of course get into whether or not that was true as we get through the um, the episode. But uh, let's go ahead and move into our characters, and we'll start off with Alec Holland. Aka mm-hmm. Swamp Thing himself, <laughs> uh, although played by two different actors, Alec Holland was played by Ray Wise mm-hmm. in one of his earlier uh, yeah. roles. Yeah. He, of course, would become more famous a few years later in the show Twin Peaks. Right, um, right, and then of course he'd have a a pretty stellar career after that. I, I'm going to throw this out just to see if you remember. It. Do you remember the show Reaper? Came on CW. No. It only lasted a few seasons before yeah. it was canceled. I've never been a big se- I mean, until like, you know, Arrow and The Flash uh, and those shows kind of got on CW. I wasn't a big CW watcher. Yeah. Well, in Reaper, he played the devil. Oh, well, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Swamp Thing, once he becomes Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing was played by stuntman Dick Durock, mm-hmm. who would own this character for <laughs> the rest of for the next 10 years. Right, right. That's crazy. I mean, you really break it down. If you want to break down just the number of hours of screen time that Dick Durock is Swamp Thing, I'd say he's got a rank in the upper echelon of characters. Right, right. Cuz you know, of course, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, I think, are the top two mm-hmm. for Professor X and Wolverine. But if you look at this movie, the sequel, 
the television show, which had what was like 60 episodes, 70 episodes, something like that. And, right. and all, and then there's these, uh, um, the sequel actually has these PSAs, um, <laughs> that he made in the eighties. Um, but you put all that together. I mean, this man is one of those rare, uh, people who is, became that character and stuck with that character for this entire time. Oh yeah. Uh, so once uh, once Holland becomes Dick Duroc, this is when things start getting weird. So <laughs> I notice I said once Holland becomes Dick Duroc. Once Holland becomes Swamp Thing. Right. That's what you meant. Yeah. It is Dick Duroc, but it's not Dick Duroc's voice. Right. Right. They used Ray Wise's voice. Mm-hmm. That was very evident to me <laughs> i don't know about you yeah i didn't pick up it up i didn't i didn't pick up on it as much just from initially watching it but then once i did the re, you know saw the research in that the, originally that Wes craven wanted to switch back and forth between big yeah. and ray wise but and he yeah. actually shot some scenes with both of them and then decided yeah it's not going to work with ray wise in the suit uh because they, they looked up too different. Too different, yeah. Even yeah. though they tried to make the mask that he wore somewhat more in Ray Wise's shape, but he does look totally different still. Yeah. So once I read that, I was like, they definitely had to have dubbed the voice. And it was more evident at that point, but not initially. Yeah, you want to talk about the budget. Uh, the fact that they filmed all of the Swamp Thing scenes twice. Yeah. And the time that it had to have taken to put that suit on, mm-hmm. to put whatever prosthetics had to go on the face for the mask, right? right. Yeah, that I mean that that had to that had to take some time. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. in the middle of the swamp in South Carolina in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> humidity and all. Yeah, yeah. Mo- movie set in Louisiana, but they filmed in, in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim and I both know living in the South. Woo. <laughs> Summers are no joke. No, humidity alone. And But uh, everybody says, Wes Craven said it. I think the director of the sequel even talked about it, that Dick Duroc was a pro mm-hmm. and he would never complain. Right, yeah. He he did everything he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Now, Dick Duroc is actually seen in the movie. Right. Uh, right. When Adrienne Barbeau's character arrives on the plane, Dick Duroc is the agent who is getting out. That mm-hmm. he's he's getting onto the plane and saying, you know, hey, this is all you now. So you do get to see Dick Duroc without the makeup on. And now these messages. Hello, 80s flick lovers. I just want to take a minute and say thanks again for listening to the 80s flick flashback podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Sadly, we don't have any shout-outs to new buymeacoffee.com members this week, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com. We have three tiers of support to choose from. You can be a Cult Classic member, which is only $5 a month, a Be Kind Please Rewind member, which is $10 a month, or you can go big by choosing to be a box office blockbuster member for $15 a month and receive an official 80s flick flashback t-shirt. All members on any tier will receive a free logo sticker, so don't miss out. 
You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and to start your subscription membership today. We will always offer free episodes and we'll never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through Buy Me a Coffee. Every little bit helps and will be greatly appreciated. You can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection on our website as well as the link in the show notes. If you've been listening for a while, you know I've been moving away from buying digital movies and going back to buying Blu-rays and DVDs of my favorite movies. If you'd like to help, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in our show notes. There are movies there priced from $5 to $40, so feel free to purchase one or more. (laughs) I'll even give you a special thank you on TikTok and Instagram when the movies arrive. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Eye of the Tiger, Flashdance, What a Feeling, and Danger Zone, as well as deeper cuts from the 80s flicks like Lost in the Shadows from The Lost Boys, Only the Young from Vision Quest, and Cool Rider from Grease 2. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette to hold eight hours worth of songs. So it's perfect for listening to on a fun road trip or if you're just stuck in a cubicle at work. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to today's show. So Swamp Thing first appeared in The House of Secrets, number 92, in July of 1971. This was like a horror anthology uh, series that DC had, um, and he appeared in one issue. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more in the moving panels, because I do want to talk about Swamp Thing's origin and how that plays out. Uh, But we didn't get the version that we saw in the movie, the whole Alec Holland storyline, until Swamp Thing got his own series uh, in October of 1972, which is when Swamp Thing number one came out. So a little over a year after he was technically first introduced, it was from what I discovered is that the House of Secrets number 92 was one of the best-selling DC comics ever. And so that is why... They went forward and gave him his own series. So what did what did you think of uh let's just get into this character because there's okay. a lot to talk about here. <laughs> so let let's talk about Alec Holland first. What did you mm-hmm. think of Ray Wise's uh character, his portrayal? What did you think of the character of Alec Holland? Um, I mean I liked it. I mean it, it we don't see as much of him. I mean, of course, the transformation is fairly early in the movie, so you get a little you get a little bit of a sense of him as a character, but I mean, definitely the, uh, the protagonist definitely, you know, wanting to do good, you know, this accident that happens, you know, uh, is what creates him, which is what makes him transforms him into the swamp thing, but he still maintains his, 
moral compass. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed him. I thought it was good. Yeah, I like that they, they keep him. He's very optimistic about mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, he seems to just be happy doing what he's doing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, they give him the noble deed of his experiments are supposed to save the world. Right, right. Um, and this bio-regenerative uh, mm-hmm. formula that he's coming up with is, will end world hunger. And so they make him a you know, likable guy right off the bat. Yep. yep. Um, which, of course, then will help. Okay. So he then turns into Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And we get the the look they decided to go with. <laughs> with this suit. What were your thoughts of this look? I wasn't uh, a fan of yeah. the suit. But, you know, once again, knowing the time frame of the, you know, the time this movie was made... And is it's evident pretty early on, even before the suit comes up, that this is not a big budget, you know, property. So I knew it was more for budgetary reasons, but it's 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 a pretty terrible suit. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to make it not sound as bad, but it it yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. I got I got a creature from the Black Lagoon vibes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for it. sure. Which for I don't sure. know if that's something Wes Craven was trying to go for. Mm, yeah. He was kind of going for that classic, you know, mm. universal monster look. Yeah. Um, it seemed very practical because it looked like those, like, fisherman weight, weight, weighted, you know, mm-hmm. boots yeah. and, you know, gear that you wear. Like, the material looked like it was waterproof. So I'm sure that was very practical. And they just, like, hey, with whatever money we have, try to put some you know, make it look a little bit more like a plant on the outside, put some moss kind of feel on it. And then which even they, the head, they yeah, barely did. They which, did. Yeah. According to the, I listened to the commentary of Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. The reason why they didn't put an awful lot on it was for continuity. Is what he said. That makes sense. That makes a lot of um, sense. Although in the sequel and the television show, they went with a more, mm-hmm. You know, he really looked like a living swamp. You know, he right. had the leaves and the twigs. And part of me is like continuity wouldn't really matter because you would expect that he's constantly moving, changing, mm. yeah, you know, growing uh, and all that. This suit, yeah, just being kind of a green bodysuit, uh, which you see wrinkles in sometimes mm-hmm. when he moves. You yeah. see it wrinkle up. Right. Um, I think there's even a moment where you see a tear in the suit. Oh, I missed that, but I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the face, I don't know what the, the idea was behind giving him those really defined cheekbones. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think, I, I feel like they were trying to make the face more like Ray Wise because Ray, Ray Wise does have a very distinctive facial feature. Once again, I don't think they, I don't think they achieved what they were going for, but I clearly not. That's what that's what I felt it was. But I did know there's a lot of scenes up close where the green makeup doesn't quite make it all the way to the eyes, and you can still see the flesh tone around the eyes. But probably for safety reasons too, uh, you probably don't want that makeup in your eyes. Yeah. But I, I wonder if I wonder if they could have played with that somewhere. There were still some human aspects of him, and give him some more. You know, a few other places where some of his natural flesh came through. Of course, that's not comic book accurate, but that was my thought anyway. All right, moving on. Uh, Our next main character was Alice Cable, Mm -hmm. played by Adrian Barbeau, Mm -hmm. um, who was on a run at this time. (laughs) 
Um, she had done Escape from New York. She had done The Fog. Right. Um, of course, both of those <laughs> being done by her husband, mm-hmm. John Carpenter. Right. Who she was still married to at the time when they filmed this, which I just kind of find funny is... Could you imagine Wes Craven like calling up John Carpenter <laughs> and like, hey, I'd like to use your wife for this movie. Right. Um, do you also mind that uh, I film her topless? <laughs> yeah, which I, I watched the interview with her on uh, her kind of retrospect. And from her perspective or from her memory, uh, she actually received the script first and she was not familiar with Wes Craven because she said horror was not her genre, even though she'd been in the fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she said, but John Carpenter was a huge fan of Wes Craven and he basically told her, you've got to do this. You need to go make this movie with Wes Craven. And she also did say that she did not remember the, the nude scene in the contract but obviously she filmed it without any issues. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that whole story yeah, uh, yeah. later. Right. Yeah, nope. Very reveal even even without the nude scene. Very mm-hmm. revealing outfits throughout. Oh, yeah. Well, I think um, she was used to that by that point cuz I think any any other thing she'd been in. Well, I know Escape from New York, she kind of yeah. is dressed uh but in The Fog, she, I mean she's just the radio DJ. Oh, okay. I've never and seen so, The Fog, so What? You host an 80s podcast. I didn't say I've seen every 80s movie, but I love 80s movies, so I will eventually see it. So just edit this part out. It'll be good. (laughs) No, 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 we are not, because maybe it'll force you to do the the fog on the 80s flick flashback. It'll it's on the list. The list is long, but it is distinguished. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, But the character of Alice Cable, although not in the comic books, there is a character named Cable. Uh, and I'm not talking about the X-Men character. Yeah, I'm talking about I, from. Yeah. Which I, yeah, I kept thinking every time they call her name, <laughs> no, I was like, yeah. all I can see is Cable from Deadpool. No. Uh, in the actual Swamp Thing series, there was a character named Matt Cable. And it was just like what her character is. He's a government agent. Mm-hmm. Although in the comic book, he works for Interpol. Okay. I think in this movie, they established she's an FBI agent. Not 100%, but I think they established he's an FBI agent. Yeah, I remember um, being an agent of some kind. I don't remember which, yeah. which entity. And and in the comic, he's just the one that kind of oversees. Uh, he's kind of the liaison between mm-hmm. the, gov- the government and the Hollands. And, uh, and I guess that's what we're to put onto her character as mm-hmm. well. But, of course, we're not going to have um, <laughs> it be Matt, Matt Cable... Because there's a whole mess of things that go on in the comic book with Matt Cable and Linda Holland um, and Abby Arcane, which some people also say is who Alice is supposed to be. She's supposed Mm -hmm. to be a version of uh, Abigail Arcane, Abby Arcane. I didn't see that. No. Knowing the character. Now, that's who Heather Locklear would then go on to play in the sequel. She would play Abby Arcane. I didn't see that. I was fine with with the Matt Cable connection and just kind of blending Matt Cable. And I would honestly say Linda Holland, although Linda Holland was a character in this movie, but the comic version of it. So what'd you think of Adrian Barbeau and her performance? Cause this really, this movie was more her than it was Swamp. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I, I would agree with that statement. I mean, I think she does, she does well with what she's given 
I liked her a little bit more in the beginning where she's a little bit more assured and, you know, she doesn't take any stuff from anybody. She, you know, yeah, she has a nice confident. little, yeah, a little confident. She has a good little fight scene with the guy in the, that tries to, you know, take, take her out in the cabin. Uh, but then she, you know, once the swamp thing is created, then she be- just becomes kind of the damsel in distress, mm-hmm. which I felt was a little disappointing. For her character. They, they gotta have someone for him to save. I, I mean, I get so, it. I get it. Yeah. And I will will say this. I found out that she did, I think, 95% of her own stunts. I believe it. Um, yeah. The only one I could tell was not her is the one that jumps over the stuff outside of the gas station. Mm-hmm. When she's running and then it does a the weird, obviously, <laughs> stunt cut. And you right. see somebody jump over, and then she comes up, mm-hmm. and then the horrible edit when the gun explodes in her hand. Yeah, um, yeah. that was a bad edit. <laughs> I tell you what, though, she she had to have hated the humidity because mm-hmm. her hair. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. She nice said, little afro. She yeah. she's sporting. <laughs> yeah, she said in the interview she was like she remembered it was like fourteen hour days. It was hot. And she said that she did not watch any of the dailies like, you know, as they were filming. So by the time that she got to see them, she was horrified by the wardrobe, by the makeup, her hair. She hated throughout the whole movie. But once it had been established, she couldn't change it. Um, But she said she was just exhausted making the movie. So she was not very happy with her appearance in the movie either. And the number of times she goes into the swamp like mm-hmm. knee deep in the mm-hmm. swamp like i'm i'm honestly sitting there going do they have someone that's watching out for like <laughs> alligators or snakes or nope. anything cuz yeah she said the she said the crew would love to find she said it was not as wild or it didn't have as much wildlife as other swamp areas that she had heard about but there were still snakes like she said the crew would find snakes and then decide they didn't want to bring them and show them to her uh, but she said they were more concerned about bacteria. They, she said anytime they went into the water, they would have to take like antibiotic, antibiotic soaked cotton balls and put them in their ears or their nose. Ugh. And then as Ugh. soon as they, you know, so, and then as soon as they shot it, they came out of the water and they had to wipe them down and wa- rinse them down because so much bacteria and stuff in the swamp. But she said it really wasn't, really wasn't, no, she said she didn't see any alligators, uh, of that, like that, but she said it was, uh, it was not fun, not fun yeah, conditions this for sure. Also reminds me we we've done on your show. Mm-hmm. You and I did a stand by me. Yes, um, on the leeches. Like, like, yeah, did, did they do a leech check? Yeah, um, she said. Yeah, she said she had a hard time sleeping after those days because she would wake up thinking that there was still stuff on her uh, <laughs> from from being in the swamp. So uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, that just makes me. Makes me shudder. Yeah, it's like just thinking about the, it. Yeah, it's like, isn't there a sound? Which, which actually, they were they looked for sound stages to use instead of doing on location, and the only one that they had that they could afford was the old creature from the back Black Lagoon on yep. the lot, but it was too small. Too small. Yeah, so I heard had, Wes Craven talk yeah, about so they that. Had, they had to do, and they only they filmed I think one of the boat sequences in a l- actual lake that was in California, not in yeah. South Carolina. Yeah, the big one with the. Uh, the the one that seems seems completely out of place because it was <laughs> yeah because they test screened the movie or showed the movie to the studio and they go we need a big action scene <laughs> and so yeah they just went out and filmed 
that little bit to put in the middle of the movie. But yet they, but yet they cut his big, big action scene he wanted at the end. We'll probably get to that later. But go ahead. Uh, so let, yeah, let's move on in the characters. So we've got our big bad villain, mm-hmm. Arcane. In the comics, his name's Anton Arcane. I don't think they ever say his first name in this movie. Yeah, they just call remember. him Arcane. Yeah. Played by Louis Jourdain, mm-hmm. um, who let's hit another great '80s movie. Who was the villain, Kamal Khan in Octopussy? <laughs> James Bond. Yeah, of course. Louis Jourdain had a huge career before this. You know, movies that. All the way back into the 50s, mm-hmm. you know, huge actor. And they got him for this. So yay them. <laughs> uh, the character of Arcane actually first appeared in Swamp Thing number two back in January of 1973. Uh, he was technically teased at the end of the first issue, but he's officially, you know, introduced in the second issue. Uh, in the comic, however, he's this old mad scientist slash wizard. Okay. It's very, again, that that sci-fi kind of element that they were going with, the classic horror story. He has his unmen, which are, you know, they kind of start playing into this towards the end of the movie, his genetically enhanced subjects, Mm -hmm. uh, minions, whatever. He has them actually take Swamp Thing from Louisiana, and they bring him to... Arcane's castle that's in uh, Europe somewhere. Okay. And he is a, like I said, mad, mad scientist slash wizard. He's obsessed with immortality, which is mm-hmm. something they they do with uh, the character in the movie. Right. And he says that he can give Alec back his life if he agrees to give him the power of the Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And which he, Alec agrees to. So they perform this actual like magical spell with this whole cauldron type thing, and it works. Arcane becomes the Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Alec Haldlin is human again. However, not too long after, Alec finds out that Arcane has a nefarious plan, and so Alec does what he needs to do to break the spell, and he gets back the Swamp Thing uh, powers, and then he goes after Arcane who then falls to his death. So you would think, how do they pick just this random uh, character from one single issue? Well, Arcane came back. He actually came back in issue number 10. Okay. Um, this time as a monster. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, at the end of issue number 10, he's killed. <laughs> uh, he then came back again and again. Uh, I think it was it was Alan Moore when Alan Moore took over the comic in the 80s, but after this movie, because I think it was 84, that Alan Moore took over the comic. And Alan Moore kind of established the Swamp Thing that you pretty much see now. Mm-hmm. He kind of set up Arcane as the, you know, Swamp Thing's Lex Luthor, you know, Swamp yeah. Thing's Joker. Yeah. Arcane was now going to be Swamp Thing's main antagonist. What do you think of Louis Jourdain and the character of Arcane? I actually liked his character and I thought oh, he was great. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that he the following year too good on, for this movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm like, did you know what you signed up for when you got this script? But uh, a paycheck. That's what. Yeah. He yeah. <laughs> but knowing that the year later he would be a Bond villain makes a lot of sense coming off of this. But I also did read that he was the only actor that came with notes for all of his dialogue. Every morning he would come to Wes Craven and say, I have some thoughts on my lines today. And he would 
basically try to rewrite his dialogue. So he knew what kind of character he wanted to portray, but he was definitely, you know, even though it was a sci-fi horror, I think it's more sci-fi than horror, he was approaching it like it was Shakespeare, which every great villain should do, especially in these movies. So uh, for that reason, he elevates it. He elevates it a lot for me. I, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him. I wished, I honestly wished he was on screen more. We got more of him in the movie. Well, you know, he came back for the sequel. Of course he did. Uh, which, <laughs> which you know, we'll talk about when we do the sequel right. uh, in a couple of weeks, which anybody who's seen this movie would go, wait, what? <laughs> Considering that he dies at the end of this. But right. you just heard me say the character in the comic died and then always came yeah. back. So, But he was also so, a monster that, you know, at the end. So, yeah. So, so we'll we'll save that that uh, story for the return of Swamp Thing episode in a couple of weeks. That's really it in terms mm-hmm. of characters that come from the comic. Although the characters of Ferret and Bruno, okay, who were the two main henchmen uh, right. played by David Hess and Nicholas Worth, those names are names of characters in the very first issue of Swamp Thing. It's Swamp Thing number one. It's Maxwell Ferret and literally just Bruno uh, in the comics. These characters are kind of more like mob enforcers though. Mm-hmm. The way the story goes in the comic is it's not arcane who is trying to get a hold of their formula. It's this criminal organization known as the conclave. Okay. And then ferret and Bruno work for the conclave. Although they are killed by swamp thing in the first issue. Okay. Uh, they're both murdered uh, because Ferret kills Linda, um, which, you know, is Arcane kills Linda in the uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. Although, let's talk about Linda really quick. Yeah. Linda in the comic is Alec's wife. Okay. But in the movie, it's his sister. Yeah. Yeah. And of, of course, they did that because they wanted the love interest to be Alice Cable. Mm-hmm. Right. But... When you know the comic book, that that just felt so weird. <laughs> yep, obviously. What were your thoughts on uh, Ferret and Bruno? Because those were totally two different type of henchmen. Yeah, <laughs> Bruno just felt so out of place, <laughs> like, as the henchman. And I think because I've seen that actor in other 80s things, and he was not a henchman, he was more a comic. Dark man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And Dark man. He's in Dark man was 90s, though, I think, right? Maybe. I think it's 91. But anyway... But yeah, so uh, I was waiting. I was expecting to be more like the comic. I mean, he's more comical to me. But I mean, they were they were what they were supposed to do. They were the henchmen. You know, they that. Yeah, I don't have much to say about them because they were pretty typical and they uh, they did their trope role very well. I would put yeah. it that way. So unless I miss something, Ferret is the only character that Swamp Thing actually kills. OK, Isn't yeah, that right. That's yeah. probably I mean, right. other than Arcane, obviously, at the end. Yeah. But I think I think Ferret is the only one that he straight up just murders. Yeah, yeah. That was the most... That scene came up. I was like, yeah, PG movies have definitely changed a lot in the last 40 years. I mean, we've yeah. had this conversation before on either my podcast or yours. But yeah, that was definitely... That was definitely more in the horror realm than anything else in the movie. Squeezing his head, blood yeah. comes pours out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Bruno gets the unfortunate fate <laughs> of drinking the uh, formula and then turning into a little pig person. Right, right. Yeah. 
um, which they still use Nicholas Worth's voice, voice again. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. kind of like they did for the Swamp Thing. And then that's where I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the story here. This is where some of the logic kind of falls apart for me because, mm-hmm. you know, Arcane's trying to figure out why didn't he turn into, you know, this big hulking right. creature right. like Holland did. And Holland explains it away as the formula brings up your true mm-hmm. self mm-hmm. Um, and amplifies it. And I'm just sitting there going, I thought it was made to grow plants. Like, where <laughs> yeah. did yeah. where did that come from? Mm-hmm. It was it was it was the epiphany he had underwater as he as he was transforming in the swamp and the explosions were going off above the and water. He goes, "Oh, I was in love with plants so much, I'm becoming a giant plant." Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, that sounds there about you right. There you go. And then <laughs> Arcane, Arcane, although thinks, "Well, I'm you know highly intelligent, so I will it mm-hmm. will just enhance my intelligence." Um, but instead, we find out that he really was a big pile of crap. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what he turns into for a moment. That's mm-hmm. the other talking about logic again. Because I've always said, even in a you know sci-fi movie, superhero movie, whatnot, mm-hmm. your your world has to have logic. Right, right. No matter what Arcane that world is. is the only one. At you know we see Holland turn into Swamp Thing. We see Bruno turn into the little pig man. Mm-hmm. Arcane is the only one that gets a. Like a cocoon? cocoon? Yeah, like a metamorphosis transformation. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. didn't make any sense. Like, why didn't it was that happen weird. to the other ones? It was weird. Finally, we, we can't not talk about characters without talking about Jude. Yeah. Um, yeah. R- Reggie Batts, who mm-hmm. was, this is the one and only thing he ever did. Yep, yep. Uh, he was just a local kid mm-hmm. that they found and threw him into this role and according to Wes Craven the reason they went with a local kid and I find this hard to believe is that apparently it was a loophole in the child labor laws yep so they could <laughs> they didn't have to follow all of those guidelines because he was a local kid mhm mhm so of course I read yeah, the, the character's thing, not yep. from the comics made just for the movie mm-hmm. um but what are, what are your thoughts on Jude I liked him he was great i mean he he added you know, all this weird stuff is going on. He added that everyday normal person's kind of perspective of like, you know, I love it when... Uh, Who doesn't seem affected by any yeah, of it. Though. Yeah, like, well, hey, yeah. This, this happens all the time in South Carolina or Louisiana. So it doesn't make, you know, yeah, in our little town. But I love the part when the, I guess they're in the boats and then the bad guys, you know, the henchmen are coming. He's like, who the heck are those guys? And then the swamp thing is like, who the heck is that guy? So it's just like that, that whole little yeah. exchange was great. I was like, that's, but that's what you want. You want that. That person that that we kind of see everything through his eyes. So, uh, and of course he had to be that, even though he doesn't die, which I was glad, you know. But he gets attacked by the henchmen. Well, let's which talk then, about then that. Spurs that thing. Did on. did he die? Did he die? Well, I thought he did until he came back at the end. <laughs> yeah, but same thing happens with Cable. True. Yeah. So so yeah, if he he died and then Swamp Thing heals him with his healing moss and his glowing green hand. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, but that was a great moment when, when he, when he's dying in the boat and Swamp Thing picks him up, is his name like, there goes the neighborhood or something? Yeah. 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 He wakes up, sees Swamp Thing, goes, yeah. there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So, which was fantastic. So, so yeah, I, I, I loved him. I, you know, he's a great addition to the cast for sure. Uh, I will say he's, he's a better kid uh, side character than the two we end up getting in the sequel. But again, sequel will come in a couple of weeks. 
Um, so you've kind of already answered part of this question, but I'm going to ask you here. Okay. So of all the characters we had, who do you want to see again, and who do you wish would take the Gwen Stacy plunge? <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to see Jude again, for sure. Oh, really? See, I thought you were going to go with Arcane, because you're kind of talking about wanting to see more Arcane. Yeah, but I mean, he's the villain, so, you know, you don't... Yeah, I would have liked him more in 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 this movie. I don't think I need him as a recurring villain, though. Okay. So, but you would have liked to seen Jude and more stories with yeah with the swamp thing. Yeah. All right. So who who did you wish would just go away? That's a tough one because there weren't any. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> for me, it would be honestly for me it would be Cable. Like I I could do without Adrian. Barbo's character no not for me i think she eh, was i could <laughs> yeah I, I mean yeah you you've had this discussion with me already i i will say this i would have preferred a different main henchman than uh barrett yeah he was a little sleazy <laughs> yeah yeah i mean both both of them were not great henchmen to me i you know they're not the oh no all of all of the uh, the guards and whatnot are just so incompetent. Yes, I mean, yes. they're they're horrible. So uh, Arcane needs to hire better people. Right, right. And now these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, let's get into the moving panels, and I'm just going to start off by asking you a question. Before I get into it and kind of reveal some of this, what scenes 
or or just a scene. You don't have mm-hmm. to name multiple. Uh, did you feel felt like they came straight from a comic book? And what scene did you feel like they had to have just made that up for the movie? <laughs> um, I felt like the the creation of Swamp Thing, like how he came to be, felt comic book like that was pretty a typical comic book. You know, it's an accident. It's never on purpose. You know, the yeah. them him 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 trying to get away with the the serum or the the formula and then him being knocked over and it getting on him and of course it being explosive and then catching on fire and the whole thing that seemed very much if i had if i had not read the comic which i still have and i would say oh that's probably pretty close to how it was in the comic the one that's not and one of the scenes that i remembered as it was happening that i was like ooh i remember this as a kid is uh, Swamp Thing growing the new arm after touching the light okay. uh, with his other hand. That just felt very much like a, that's a very much a movie trope, more so than a comic book trope to me. Yeah. Okay. So. Alright, well let's get into it. So you you said the uh, his origin, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned already, I was going to get into his origin. So at this point, when the movie came out, uh, Swamp Thing had two origins. Okay. Now, Technically, he would get three a couple of <laughs> years later with Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. But uh, so in House of Secrets number 92, which, again, like we talked about, was just a single issue, kind of a one shot, uh, a self-contained story. He is not named Alec Holland. He's named Alex Olson. OK. And it is set at the turn of the century, like, you know, 1890, 1900. right. right. And what happens in that story is his best friend, Damien Ridge, is jealous of Alex and his love interest, his wife, uh, Linda. Right. And so he actually sets up an explosion to go off and kill uh, Alex. He then dumps Alex's body into the swamp and thus... He becomes Swamp Thing. Gotcha. In that story, Damien actually marries Linda. However, his guilt about killing Alex eventually gets the best of him, and he begins to worry that Linda's going to find out. And so he starts to plan to murder Linda. And then that's when Olsen returns as the Swamp Thing, and he stops Damien from murdering Linda. Mm -hmm. Linda then looks at him in horror, and Olsen returns to the Swamp you know, realizing though he'll always be alone, you know, Linda will be able to live out her life. And that's kind of how they, they kind of end the story. And like I said earlier, that issue, that single issue was the best selling DC comic that month. Like it beat out <laughs> Superman comics, beat out Batman comic, that right there. So of course they make a Swamp Thing series and that's where we get the second one, which is the one that's closer to the movie. So in Swamp Thing number one, we have the whole thing about the uh, the Hollins, both Alec and Linda, a husband and wife team. They're working on a secret government experiment. They are creating a bio-restorative formula to help with the food shortage of the world. And as I mentioned earlier, there's an organization called the Conclave that wants the formula, so they send thugs to retrieve it by any means. Alec and Linda, of course, refuse. Uh, so they attack Alec. They plant a bomb in the lab. 
And when Alec comes to, he's knocked out in the lab. When he comes to, it's too late. He can't get out in time. The bomb explodes. And just like we see in the, um, in the movie, a burning Alec Mm -hmm. who's covered in the chemicals. And of course the fire jumps into the swamp and that is where he becomes a swamp thing. I will point out that the character of swamp thing is very similar, but the one thing that I am not familiar with in terms of the comic character is his, that healing ability that we talked about with Jude, yeah. like bringing Jude yeah. back and, and that much of it. However, however, <laughs> he is able to heal himself. Okay. And so your little thing about uh, his arm, guess what? It's in the comic book. Ah. <laughs> yeah, Swamp Thing number five. Uh, so, I, you know, I said earlier that Swamp Thing number five was the one with Batman. It was yep. not. Oh, okay. So Swamp Thing number five, which was in August of 1973. Again, they had, it was kind of a creature feature, the Swamp Thing stories. It was like, you know, okay, now he's going to face this. Like, at one point he faces a, a Scottish werewolf. Um, another point, he faces like a Frankenstein monster type creature. Uh, in this issue, there's uh, a woman and a little boy that is running from a mob who thinks that she is a witch. Hmm. And so you kind of get this like Salem witch hunt type thing going. And in one of the battles, one of the members of the mob actually cuts Swamp Thing's arm off. Mm-hmm. And uh, Swamp Thing ends up falling into the water. And when he comes out of the water, he starts to notice that his arm is growing back. Okay. Um, and then when his arm does grow back, he says, uh, and when I say he says, uh, Swamp <laughs> Thing doesn't actually talk uh, oh, okay. in the comics. Uh, not for quite a while. I, I don't know the exact issue when he starts being able to speak, but uh, we get all of his thoughts. And when his arm grows back, he talks about now he feels stronger. I liked the scene that you were talking about where he kind of reaches for the sun mm-hmm. and then it starts to grow. I thought it was a pretty good little effect. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, I liked the scene, the, which is why I, I you know, once his yeah. camera started, I was like, Oh, I remember this as a kid. Like that was so cool to see as a kid. Like I remember the little twig hand, you know, making a fist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, although now that we've had more recent, um, <laughs> recent movies, it reminded me a lot of a uh, Deadpool. When Deadpool oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. gets his his yeah. uh, limbs cut off and we see his little baby hand, mm-hmm. um, so it kind of reminded me of that. It made me think of uh, Groot. Oh yeah, no, yeah, definitely a Groot feel as well. Uh, the only other comic connection that I found was one I already mentioned in Swamp Thing number two. We got Arcane who was doing experiments on people um, and called him his Unmen. We get to see that play out a little bit more in the sequel. Okay. But that was really it. The Swamp Thing comic, I'm pretty sure by the time this movie was being made, the Swamp Thing comic had kind of ended its run. Okay. And then wouldn't get picked back up until Alan Moore uh, took took it over in 84. And the great series of um, uh, the saga Swamp Thing mm-hmm. um, that he wrote. Are you familiar with Alan Moore? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you know anything, (laughs) I would say if you know anything about comics, you got to know the name Alan Moore. Yes, definitely. Um, And for anybody listening, I don't know why you're listening to a comic movie podcast and you don't know uh, comics, but if you don't know who Alan Moore is, let me just say uh, two other titles he did Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Yep. There you go. 
That's Alan Moore. <laughs> Alan Moore uh, brought Swamp Thing back. Uh, DC, kind of like I talked about earlier, about them just giving the producer the character for free. Um, DC pretty much told Alan Moore, hey, we're going to give you Swamp Thing. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. It was actually, to my knowledge, his run on Swamp Thing, the first issue he put out of Swamp Thing, was the first comic to not receive the comic code stamp. Okay. Because he was making a comic for adults. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And so his his run of Swamp Thing gets a lot darker, um, goes a lot deeper into the... The mythos, um, we're not going to get into all of that. Probably actually talk about that a little bit more um, when we talk about the television shows right, later right. this month. Um, because the 2019 television series actually follows Alan Moore's story more than it does Lynn Wines. So so there you go. But um, that's really all the comic book connections. Um, the only thing I still want to talk about, as we mentioned earlier, is I want to talk about the alternate edit. The alternate cut, the mm-hmm. international cut, international as cut, some people right. refer to it. So there is another cut of this movie in which there is a, a good maybe three minutes of watching Adrian Barbo <laughs> take a bath in the swamp. Which is already weird. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It's so much. is, But it is not as weird as the other scene that was added for this cut, which happens right before Arcane's dinner party. You know, when okay. uh, Bruno is turned into the creature. Right. The cut that you see in the DVD, the Blu-ray that uh, people have now, it starts right as they show the table. But that scene actually went to that other room that was off to the side, started off in that room, where there was just a bunch of random women just topless and making out with dudes. And you want, again, you want to talk about a random scene Uh, (laughs) clearly. Yeah. Clearly just nudity for the sake of nudity. Mm -hmm. So from what I gathered is the reason why those scenes were added was because countries like Germany and a couple of others, they wanted to market it as a rated R horror movie. Okay. And so, in, I guess instead of adding more violence and more mm-hmm. gore, they went, okay, nudity. That'll make it rated R. Right. Um, right. Because in America, it's rated PG. Yep. PG movie. You know, PG-13 hadn't come out yet. It's a PG movie. So that's the way it was It was released. Is There was the American edit, and then there was this like international edit mm-hmm. uh, with the nudity. The thing was, was that when... The DVD was released in 2000. Mm -hmm. So this is 18 years after the movie came out. They released the DVD in 2000. Someone, you had one job. and (laughs) Get uh, the right cut of the movie for the right country. And they apparently put the international edit on the American DVD. And the story goes is that a woman, um, and I think, Maybe she lived in Canada. I don't remember where she lived. But a woman uh, rented Swamp Thing from a blockbuster Mm -hmm. in May of 2002. So that means this edit (laughs) DVD had been out for two years. Right, right. 
Uh, she rented it from a blockbuster in May of 2002 for her son and her sons or son and a friend. I know there was more than one kid involved and she's sitting there. Uh, she sits there with them and watches it at the beginning to make sure that it's you know good. Uh, she is satisfied. She walks away. And then uh, a few minutes later, she, I don't know. I don't remember the story if whether one of her sons said something or she just walks back in and there is a topless Adrian Barbeau Mm -hmm. just on the screen, just bathing herself. (laughs) And so the woman reported it. They, of course, immediately, Blockbuster immediately removed them from the shelves. Right. Uh, MGM, who made the film, you know, we didn't even talk about that. It's so weird that this is an MGM film, considering DC is owned by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I really wanted to know, I I meant to look this up, like how many uh, DC movies exist that were not made by Warner Brothers. So uh, I found that interesting. But And you could probably speak more on this uh, since you watched the interview with uh, Adrian Barbeau. Mm -hmm. MGM, apparently, instead of trying to change anything... They just reached out to her and say, hey, you good with this? <laughs> and of course she went, no. Right. Because it was, you mentioned her contract. It was actually in her contract that the nudity could only be seen in Other those countries, countries yeah, gotcha. that got that cut. And mm-hmm. so if they had decided to go forward, if Adrian Barbeau decided to pursue it, you know, she pretty much had the law on her side. And I've heard that if you have the 2000 DVD release, that it's apparently a, a pretty penny. I'm sure. Yeah. A collector issue. Um, however, I will say I discovered something in doing my research. Uh, so I let Tim borrow my copy of Swamp mm-hmm. Thing so he could watch it. Right. I found out the Swamp Thing was on Tubi. And so since Tim had my copy, I decided to watch it on Tubi right before... You know, we recorded it all. And guess what? That's the international. Tubi version? has the international <laughs> cut. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of surprised me. Very curious I'm, I'm how sure that. It, I'm sure it did. How that, uh, how that happens. What, what were your thoughts on the movie, on the story altogether? Uh, anything else you want to, want to hit in terms of the, the movie, the story as a whole? Well, just based on on, on that, I, I thought because I, you know, of course, I read that story as well uh, and doing my research out as I was or before I was watching it. And then watching the movie, like I said, the, the death, the one scene or the one person that Swamp Thing murders and even somewhat of the transformation of Arcane at the end. I'm like, that's acceptable in PG, but. You know, not that I'm a proponent of, or not that I'm condoning nudity in PG movies, but I just think that's an interesting, you know, it's okay for this to be. Well, and we PG. still get side boob. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the, in the PG the version. American yeah. edit. And there yeah. were, and, and I remember, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to take a little detour, but I remember sitting in a movie theater, one of the first movies I ever saw with my mom and watching Clash of the Titans, which has a breastfeeding yeah. scene. And that was my first time seeing, you know, that on screen. And I remember turning to my mom and saying, oh, my gosh, why is this in a movie that I'm allowed to watch? And she said, oh, well, that's something that's natural. Now, that's Clash of the Titans. It's a whole different, you know, thing. But that's that was 
my upbringing as well. So because wasn't there also like some claymation nudity? There was that as well. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can't remember. Like wasn't Medusa topless or no? I don't remember if it was Medusa. There, there's a yeah, yeah. But there's a clayma- claymation there is, character. Yeah, there is a claymation character that yeah. is yeah. So once again, but there, I mean, I I don't know the list, but I know I know I've seen lists in the past of you know pre PG thirteen, which even the early PG thirteen movies were still allowed to get away with like brief shots of of nudity and stuff. So, but I want, but I my my whole th- thought is like it's the violence is okay, but the nudity's not, and so not that I'm saying that one is better or worse than the other. I just thought that was interesting that this mom letting her kids watch a P quote unquote PG movie is fine with this guy getting his head smashed in or this creature coming out is, you know, that's not as offensive as a woman bathing in a swamp, which still once again was, which I think even Craven had said he felt was gratuitous and didn't like it, that it was in the film. So he was glad that it was taken out of the American edit. Uh, I'm so, sure. I mean, that's not something you really associate with Craven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back to your original question, I enjoyed it. I think it. I think it's. A, I think it's a typical quote unquote uh, origin story, comic book story. Which there's not, not there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but it, it it checks all those boxes of what you want to see in an origin story. Uh, so if you didn't know it was a comic book movie, mm-hmm. would you have guessed it was a comic book movie? Mm. Probably not, just because like more more contemporary comic book movies tend to somewhat want to look like comic book or have certain frames and or that look like panel. As you, well, but they used the dissolves. They had the they did. dissolves. They that, did. Yeah. 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 That's the, true. The, the ones that kind of drip down mm-hmm. and then the like explosion, right? Looking uh, little filters. Yeah. Yeah. Filters and and all. So it did have that in it, yeah. but. But no, I'm with you. I I think that if you didn't know this was a comic book movie, you wouldn't. You would again. You would probably just think it was a monster movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it when it, pulling it up, it's classified under like horror first, and then sci-fi. And I'm kind of like you. I, I I would consider it more like a creature feature, like more like the creature from the Black Lagoon or something like those kind of old, uh, you know, monster movies that weren't necessarily horror, but just you know. And not really sci. It has some sci-fi elements, but it's really more that kind of, yeah, creature feature kind of feel for me. What were your thoughts on the whole? I mean, we've we've hit this a little bit, but kind of going more more depth. What were your th- whole thoughts on the Beauty and the Beast love story that they were clearly trying to establish? Well, you know, they have that moment before he transforms, so it's yeah. not totally Beauty and the Beast for me because. He's a it's it's a person that she did love or obviously had feelings for. They had some kind of feelings. It's kind of rushed there before that happens. They had known each other for a minute and a half. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, But then it's her kind of seeing past the monster that he's become and see the person that she knew, you know, for 15 minutes before he became the creature. I say in jest. Yeah, it's it's somewhat like it, but it's not for me. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to our final decision. Bag it, stack it, or trade it. Uh, so now with all this being said, what do you say, Tim? How would you treat this as if it was a comic book? I was ready because I was thinking about this as I watched the movie. Uh, this is a definite stack it. Um, okay. It's it's not, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not the best, you know, comic book movie uh, I've seen. I mean, we talked about, 
budget obviously had its issues. Oh, and I was going to, we were talking about, you know, scenes that were taken out due to budget when Swamp Thing and Cable are jumping into the, the random, yeah, the random pool thing. <laughs> pool yeah, that's in Arcane's That's supposed out. to bring them back yeah. into the swamp. There was supposed to be a long kind of chase sequence in underground, uh-huh. underwater tunnels that Craven really wanted to do, but got, his budget got cut and he had to take it out. So, when that scene came up, I was like, oh, that would have been a really cool to have, you know, they wanted more action scenes, but they didn't want to pay yeah. for that one. Uh, would you have not thought that that would have also kind of just settled in more of the similarity to Creature of the Black Lagoon? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we, there's that famous scene out of that movie where the woman's swimming and he's swimming up mm-hmm. under her. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see Adrian Barbeau and Swamp Things swimming through water, I just... I don't know. Yeah. Kind of seems like it would be the same. Yeah. And then was was his was Arcane's uh wolf, werewolf, <laughs> pig, whatever he was. His costume was, was he supposed to was he was he supposed to be swimming after them cuz that had to have looked horrible considering <laughs> he's all fur. Yeah. It definitely would have weighed him down. And I didn't understand the whole sword like why the sword was so yeah. important. He's a monster. Yeah. Why does he need a sword? Yeah. So yeah, but going back to your original question, it's a stack it. Uh, it's one that I I would go back and watch. I'll probably go back and watch. Uh, you know, uh, maybe not every year, but every so often, it's still it would be fun to go back and watch. Uh, but it's not one that I would want to frame and have. You know, hey everybody, come watch this with me. Uh, yeah, I I think for me, I I was leaning towards stack it, but I think for the the sheer thought that this is one of the original comic book movies yeah i have to go back it <laughs> i mean you're looking at if you count the 66 batman movie which was really just a longer version of the television show, right right if you count that this was only the third dc feature film mm-hmm. yeah um true. now if i mean if you don't say that if you say that doesn't start till Superman, then this is technically the second. Well, I'm not counting, not counting um, Superman two, which would have come out right before this. Right. Um, but in terms of bringing a character to the big screen, Swamp Thing was one of the originals, and so it's a it's a classic. Um, I think the movie does a good job of staying true to the comic. Uh, so I, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about Wes Craven saying he, he thought he uh, did a good job of keeping uh, true to the, the story and the theme, uh, the overall theme of the comic. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think he did. Is Does it look cheap? Does it look campy? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. But as we keep talking about comparing it to Creature from the Black Lagoon, so does that. <laughs> and it's it's considered a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's very reminiscent of those old horror movies, uh, and those B movies of the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm on edge about the beauty and the beast kind of story and having that love interest there. I don't know how I feel there. That's where I kind of lean more towards the stack it. But, uh, but then as we mentioned, Louis Jourdain as arcane, mm-hmm. great villain. Yep. Yep. And so that also pulls me back. So although it's a very weak baggage. Mm-hmm. I would bag it. Yeah. So that's that's where we stand. And I will say my favorite arcane scene is when he removes his face disguise 
which that was, was really good. an awesome <laughs> effect. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, they're going to do the Mission Impossible thing, you know? <laughs> like, but the, the actor who he's disguised as, like, right. you see him pull something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, then they do the edit to reveal mm. that. It, but that initial pull. Yeah, was very was good. like, how did they do that? You gotta love the practical effects. Yeah, I'm always a fan of practical effects. I hope that you enjoyed this special replay of the Moving Panels episode about Swamp Thing. As you can see, Laramie is well-versed in comic books and an avid 80s flicks fan as well. So if you enjoyed our discussion about Swamp Thing, then you should go check out his other great episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. He's covered some great comic book movies and TV shows like Richard Donner's Superman, Tim Burton's Batman, and one of my all-time favorite 80s TV shows, The Greatest American Hero. Give those episodes a listen. Well, that's all we got for this episode. If you love the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, then please leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow or subscribe, and be sure to tell your 80s Flick-loving friends and family all about us. You can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Hey, you can also support the show through buymeacoffee.com for as little as $5 a month. And be sure to visit our online store to order our t-shirts, sweatshirts, and other cool 80s flick flashback merch. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s flick flashback podcast. Good night, good people. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. 
Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.